Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 5. We're going to go back there. I'll speak to that in just a second. I do want to give a few announcements as we begin. I watch as the songs are playing and people are worshiping and we're gathering in and people are coming in and uh, squeezing into every little hole we have. Now, we do have the two rows here uh, that, that lovingly I refer to as the spit zone, so, uh, but we do have that, understandable. But at the same time, we're looking forward to hopefully, uh, with no timeline or promises made on my part, ain't that right, Scott? That at some point, this service soon will move into our fellowship hall as it's been renovated, and we hope that is within the next few weeks, to be honest. And so we just ask you to keep praying for that. We'll let you know. And uh, if you come down here and nobody's here, go there. If that'll, that'll be how that works. But no, we're excited about that and, and, and look forward to it. But I, I thank you so much. We, the 2023, this morning as I came in, it began uh, as a lot like 2022 ended, wet and uh, and so it feels like you're coming into the rain all the time, but we're thankful to be here and be in the Lord's house. As we come back to Acts, we went through there the first uh, five and really half chapters there uh, in, in Acts in the fall, and now we're coming back to it. We saw how the Lord uh, uh, builds his church there in that part. Now we're going to start looking how the Lord equips his church. I'm thankful not being here last week for a couple of things that I do want to mention Last week, we welcomed in a new uh, one to help us, a teaching pastor, Dr. Nathan Finn. He's back there. He's dressed real nice. Looked good here for the early service. Uh, Dr. Finn will be helping us here at our church as we build out Taylor's Institute, a way that we will uh, not only help but equip our people, grow ourselves with knowledge and truth, and continue to move forward that we can uh, do what God's called us to do as we seek to change the world for Jesus. I'm thankful for Dr. Finn joining us in that. Um, I don't think y'all have to call him Dr. Finn, but you can. He, his name is Nathan, and he's a Georgia Bulldog, so he's a little bit giddy today. Um, at the same time, I was able to, to see or hear Pastor Jeremy Thompson preach last week from Jonah, and I'm just, how, just, just thankful um, just kind of thinking through Dr. Finn coming, thinking through uh, Pastor Jeremy preaching for us, thinking through our leadership, our team, uh, those who lead us in worship, those who lead every ministry we have. And I'm just reminded of how the Lord provides absolutely everything we need to do the calling and to do the mission that he has given us. There's not one thing we lack, but I think that is true, not just for a church our size, but for a church any size. You see, I, my first church, I had 38 people vote uh, to call me as pastor at my first church. I was a young, and I went there, 38 people. Two voted no. And the guy, one of the guys that voted no just told me, said, didn't want you to get the big head. <laughs> I said, it's a church of 38 people. I don't think there was any problem <laughs> of me getting the big head. But I found out quickly how difficult that was going to be. I mean, I, I recognized my first week as I was kind of looking through this old building that used to be full and active, and I realized that we had more puppets than we had people. And, and, and so you kind of walk through this whole place, and you, you realize that, that, man, can we do it? Can we accomplish it? I mean, we've got a, a big calling as a church to do something for the Lord, and he's, he's told us what our marching orders are. And so I'm starting to think, I, I don't know, this little church, I don't know if we can do it. 
I don't know if we can, I don't know if we can, we can pull this off. Who knows what might happen? And as I was able to pastor that little church for six years and see it grow, a quadruple in growth, which is pretty impre- sounds impressive, but we got to 120. And see it grow in that and just think, you know what? This little church has absolutely everything it needs to accomplish the mission and task that God has given it. God not only, not only calls the church, but he equips the church to fulfill its duty and mission. And we can see that here. Now, sometimes we don't use what God has given us in the best possible way. Sometimes we don't steward those rightly. So our role and responsibility is to take the riches that God has blessed us with and steward those in such a way so that we can impact the kingdom of God by his glory and through his power and in his name. And so what we see here is we see in the book of Acts these young, this young church, these few apostles that begin to work. And while they seem so small and there's going to be some insurmountable odds against them, even death awaits them for preaching the gospel we'll see in a few weeks. While they seemingly have that before them, God has equipped them with everything they need to accomplish the task before them. And so with that in mind, we want to turn to Acts chapter 5. We want to look here and kind of begin again in maybe a a new introduction, the mid-year introduction, if you will, of Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Luke, the author of Acts, writes, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people, By the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your truth. God, as we gather in this place here as Taylor's First Baptist Church, help us to be reminded that you have given us everything we need to fulfill the mission that you have laid before us. And so, God, make us faithful, make us good stewards of your great gifts. Help us, Father, to, uh, to consider it a privilege to do your work and your honor here as your church. God, I pray that we would steward today the great gift of your word. And, God, that it would be proclaimed here and now so that lives and hearts will be drawn toward Jesus Christ, our Lord, toward his work and his task. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if we could be just reminded of a few things, the book of Acts is a part of a two-volume history inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by Luke. This two-volume history is to tell us all that Jesus did and taught, everything he did and everything he taught. It's to carry on the works of Christ. Volume 1, the Gospel of Luke, tells us of the birth, the life, teachings of Jesus, his death, his resurrection. It leaves us with that. And then we turn to volume two. And in the beginning of volume two, we see the resurrected Christ ascending into heaven, the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
And there we see how the Holy Spirit comes and empowers and equips the church of Jesus to take the name of Jesus to the nations. Luke's point in Acts is that all he is doing as we look to the book of Acts is continuing to tell us of everything Jesus did and taught. Now you say we see that here, but we start to see how he's going to do it and teach it through the work of the apostles and the establishment of his church. The church and the teaching of the apostles become primary in the book of Luke. It's through the church that Jesus' teaching and work continue. The Lord builds his church. The Lord continues to build it. And as we continue through it this morning and looking to chapter 5, we'll see how the Lord not only builds his church, as I said, but equips it to make disciples, to proclaim the name of Jesus. Our passage is a good place to start. It may have seemed like an odd place to end at the end of last kind of semester as we look to Ananias and Sapphira, but it definitely is a good place for us to start as we step into this new section. This is the third summary statement of what's going on in the life of the early church in the book of Acts. The first one, if you have your Bibles, you can just flip back and see the first summary statement is in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. There, at the end of the preaching of Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, uh, and P Peter preaching the churches established, Luke writes that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Praising God, having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number every day, those who were being saved. A summary statement of what was going on there in the life of the early church at the end. It even tells us that some 3,000 souls were added just before it. The second summary statement comes in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Here, after some persecution arises as they arrest Peter and John for a healing that takes place outside the temple, they throw Peter and John in prison and they threaten them, don't speak anymore. They send them back and, and there the, uh, the apostles gather together, that early church, they pray. And after they pray, the word tells us again that after this persecution, that they, the full number of those who believed in verse 30, 32 had one heart and soul. No one said that anything that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, and they had great power with them. You see here the summary statement Luke gives speaks of the unity, the generosity, the power of the early church through the name of Christ. And it says great grace was upon them all. Even in the midst of persecution, great grace was upon them. Those first two summary statements, what's going on within the church. Now we come to the third one in chapter 5. And the third one that we look at this morning kind of moves the narrative from what's going on within the church to the impact the church was having within the community. And that's what we look at. Our text finds the apostles all together in a familiar place. They're gathered together in Solomon's portico. Solomon's portico was a part of the temple compound. And so the disciples are back together, it tells us, in Solomon's portico, a part of the temple compound. In fact, this was uh, not the first time that we have heard of Solomon's portico. 
The Gospels tell us, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus taught here often in this place when he was in Jerusalem, going into the temple to proclaim it. That's where he taught. Chapter 3 tells us that after Peter and John healed the lame man, they went in and began to proclaim the name of Jesus in Solomon's portico. Chapter 3, verse 11. It was in Solomon's portico that the chief priests and the leaders came and arrested Peter and John to put them in prison at that moment in chapter 3. And so here the disciples are back. After Peter and John had preached there, after they healed the lame man, after they had been arrested, jailed, brought before the council, threatened, don't ever speak of this again, they are back in Solomon's portico. Let me say confidently today to you as we look at this passage, let me confidently say to you that God answers prayers. Now you may say, well, how does that work? What are you talking about here? We're talking about preaching and then you jump to prayer. God answers prayers. I think anybody in this room that has been a believer for some time, a Christian for some time, you can attest to the fact that God answers prayers. You can attest to that truth. Well, here we see it in action because in our passage, it's hearkening back to chapter 4 again. Remember when Peter and John came out of prison and they were threatened, they went back to the disciples, and what did they do? They prayed. In chapter 4, verse 23, they were released. They went to their friends. They reported the chief priests and elders all they said. When they heard it, they lifted up their voices, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth. Here the disciples pray, and in Acts chapter 4, it tells us what they prayed, having uh, spoken of who God is and addressing him as the sovereign Lord and, and, and saying that what's happening here in the city is exactly what God said would happen in, in, in Psalm 2. Now you come down and what is the specific prayer that they asked for? The specific prayer they asked for says, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness. The specific prayer of the disciples, apostles, if you will, after they had been threatened in prison and told never to speak again or yet you will be killed, they said, don't take away the threats. They didn't ask that those threats would be removed. They came back and said, God, give us more boldness in the face of the threats. They prayed for boldness to continue to proclaim the gospel in the face of them. And so ultimately, the apostles asking for more boldness are saying, we're going back to Solomon's portico. Exactly where they were arrested, exactly where they were thrown in jail, exactly where they were threatened, they're going back there. And here in our passage, Acts 5, we see the answer to that prayer. God, give us more boldness. And so you have the apostles back at the temple complex proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You have them back there with boldness in the face of threats, in the face of imprisonment, in the face of even death. They are proclaiming Christ as Lord. And what does it tell us in chapter 5? As it begins, verse 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And so ultimately, this as well is an answer to the prayer. If you flip back, I got y'all flipping a lot, but it's early, it's good to keep you active. 
If you flip back to chapter 4 in the prayer, God give us more boldness in the face of the threats. Verse 30 of chapter 4, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of our holy servant, Jesus. Here he says, give us more boldness while you do signs and wonders, Lord, through our hands. Ultimately, this is their prayer. Continue to do what you're doing, and as you continue to do it, Lord, give us more boldness to proclaim it. Give us more boldness to speak it. Give us more boldness to do what you called us to do. And so in that prayer in chapter 4, we see it coming to fruition. We see it answered. We see that prayer being answered here in chapter 5. They are boldly proclaiming the good news of Christ in the very same place they were arrested for it before. And they are doing it with many signs and wonders that God is doing through them. Now, what are these signs and wonders then that God is answering their prayers are? These are miracles. Miracles that the apostles were doing. A continuation, if you will, as Luke puts it, of Jesus' ministry himself. They're continuing to do what Jesus did. But here when, when Luke refers to these miracles... He calls them signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Specifically, he's calling them this because they have a very specific purpose. They have a function, if you will. These signs and wonders are not the end game. This is not what they came ultimately to do. What the disciples, the apostles have come to do is to proclaim the name of Jesus as the resurrected Savior and Lord. The signs and wonders were not the ultimate end for them. They had a purpose and a function that they were speaking to, hoping to carry out. If you, in fact, consider the word miracle, if you will, itself, it comes from a Latin word that simply means something that evokes wonder. And so as you look at this, these miracles are to invoke wonder. Wonder at the power of God. Wonder at the works of God. It's an answer to the prayer of Acts chapter 4. You stretch out your hands to heal, God. You do it. You work. You act. Do it in the name of Jesus. Do it through the apostles. The apostles here consider themselves not the actors in these signs and wonders, but simply the medium by which God uses to perform them and proclaim them there. They're saying this is your work. Nowhere do the apostles think that they have accomplished these things on their own. They have not conjured up these things in their own power. They do not even have the strength to call God to do it. God does it in his own power, in his own sovereignty, in his own way, when he will and how he will. They pray for him to do it, and they simply know that this is God's work. Miracles are God's work done with God, as God desires and when he desires. No one tells God when and where. The apostles knew that. The apostles understood that. And the purpose that they had, the function that they have, was to bring wonder at the power of God. There's signs in this way. Wonder at his word, wonder at his truth that point to signs. And that means that they have a function that's to point to something else, like a sign does. It's pointing to something else. What these signs and wonders were to do were to point to the power of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To point to the power of the message. 
Here, the office of the apostle, the one who has come to give the, uh, the teachings to the church, to lay the foundation for what we believe that will become God's holy word. Here in this office, they were also equipped with these signs and wonders to testify to the power of the word that they proclaim itself. Not the end, but to point to the one who does it. They're pointing not only forward, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but they're also pointing backward to prophecy. If, if, you, if you take note of Ezekiel chapter 34, God had promised as he looked to the future, he had said the leadership in Israel will be toxic. In fact, they will not do what they're called to do. And he speaks in Ezekiel chapter 34 of the shepherds of Israel that have become wicked. He says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not you clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. And then listen to this, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. In this way, it seems as though Ezekiel is describing the very leadership of Israel at the time of Christ, the very ones who threw the apostles in jail. And what does, what does the, the, the prophet say will happen? In verse 11 of Ezekiel 34, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. And what you see here in Acts 5 are God, is the Lord God sending his shepherds, if you will, his ones that are to find them out, to search them to Israel. And they are the ones who will heal the sick. They are the ones who will bind them up. They are the ones who will do what God said the good shepherds should be doing for the people. In the same way Christ did, so they do in Acts 5. This is fulfilling this prophecy that now is the time that the Lord is seeking out his sheep. He's going after them, pursuing them. But not only that, these signs have an eschatological pointing with them as well. That's a big word to start off 2023 with. That's pointing to the end. In other words, we long for a day when the effects of sin have been so wiped out that we do not see them anymore, right? We long for a day when the lame will leap and the blind will see and the deaf will hear. We long for that moment and all signs and wonders and miracles point to a day when those things will be wiped away. They point to the end when they'll be done with and over. And so as the apostles come to proclaim the good news of Jesus, they're letting them know this is in fulfillment of what God said he would do. I'm going to hunt my people down. I'm going to find my sheep. I'm going to bring them back to my fold. I'm going to heal them up. I'm going to take them under my wing. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to provide for them. And I'll send those to lead them safely home. That's what's happening here in Acts 5. But not only that, when they get home, they'll be healed up. They'll be safe and secure and there will be no more for everything that was wrong will be made right again and that's what we see here in the ministry of the apostles everything wrong is being made right and what is the greatest effect of sin that's been wiped out here through these miracles ultimately the greatest effect of sin is our standing for God with our own righteousness that is ultimately no righteousness at all 
The apostles not only are pointing to these physical healings that can be done as signs and wonders of what God is doing, but all of those ultimately are pointing to finally saying, God can heal your own very soul. You who are far away, he can bring you near. You who are turned away from him, he can turn you back. You who have a wicked heart, he can give you a new heart. He can transform you into one who has been made new before him, and you can have your sins forgiven. That's the proclamation of the gospel itself. All of that can be made done here. And this summary statement in Acts 5 finds us in this way. With this going on, this picture of the coming of, of the, those who will lead them safely home, the Lord going after his sheep, if you will. Verse 13 of Acts chapter 5 indicates, five, uh, indicates an interesting dynamic with regards to the people. And I, and I think as we look at this, this is where we find ourselves. These, these next two verses, Acts chapter uh, 5 verse 13 and verse 14 maybe. Our passage, remember, is on the heels of the publicity of Peter and John's arrest and threat. This was not private. People knew what happened. They remember uh, in chapter 4, chapter 3 and 4, whenever the lame man was healed, everybody was talking about it. I mean, you had this one who was uh, there sitting outside the gate from birth, and now he's walking and praising God. It became news all over Jerusalem. But not only that, you have the, the threat and arrest of Peter and John, but you also come on the news of Ananias and Sapphira. And so if you have heard of Peter and John and their threat, surely the news has spread that there was this man and woman that lied in church and God struck them dead. If you let that happen here, I promise y'all we can make the news. It goes out rather quickly, in other words. So surely, here's the publicity going on. These are the people who have been threatened by the scribes and Pharisees, and they've been thrown in jail. But if you mess around with them, then they've also, these are the people who've had Ananias and Sapphira die in their very presence because they say they lied to God. Seemingly then, in verse 13, we find out none of the rest, all the apostles were there, None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Surely, these guys, I, we hold them up, but I'm not going up there. What if I get arrested? What if I do it? And so you see this sense here. You, sense, you see this sense here, the news of Ananias and Sapphira. The news or the thought of being arrested and, 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 and threatened and all the others that have been said. It tells us that none of the rest dared to join them. Seemingly, many are scared to associate with the apostles, if you will, to associate with the church. There's this sense of political attention that is getting on here. Even though they were held in high esteem, they feared their own leaders that would threaten them. By the way, this is not new. This is not new. Remember, the same thing happened in Jesus' time. In fact, in John's gospel, John chapter 12 there's many questions going on as to why people weren't believing. And so they asked Jesus about this unbelief, and, and he said, he, he, he talked about it. Why don't they believe? And so Jesus says, this is exactly what Isaiah spoke of. In John chapter 12, verse, verse 38, 
The word of the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he's blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, speaking of Christ, and spoke of him. What Jesus is saying is, That sure, they may hold him in high esteem, but nobody is joining him. Why wouldn't everybody go, that's him? They're seeing the lame walk, actually, in the context of this passage. They're seeing the blind see. They're seeing it. All of these things take place. Why would no one join him? Why would no one believe? In fact, this is just after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Why would no one follow him? Obviously. And Jesus says, many, even the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. Surely that's the Lord, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to go. That's a big deal what he's done, but I'm not going after that. They would not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. They were afraid of some political wranglings that would separate them out, that would ostracize them in society. They were afraid to be moved out to be called Christians or be called, at this time, followers of Christ. They were afraid to be recognized with that group because that may mean something for them in the public spectrum. What people say about them at the grocery store, what people say about them down the street, that may mean something and change their... They didn't want to be recognized. They, they knew who Jesus was and they recognized that he was someone special, powerful, maybe even the Son of God. But, but what does Jesus say? For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. When, when it comes down to it, even though they knew those truths, even though they saw it, they were afraid of what man may say. They loved their position in society. They loved their power that it gave them. They didn't want to threaten that. They didn't want to go out. They didn't want to, they didn't want to have them say something or be recognized with that group. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And in Acts chapter 5, that's exactly what's happening again. They see the wonders and signs and miracles. They see what's happening. They hear the gospel message and they say, you know what? Those people may have it right, but if I'm put with them, I may be threatened and thrown in jail. I may be persecuted. If I'm done that, I may lose my spot in the synagogue. I can stand over here on the side and just step away, and that way I'm not fully in it. I'm not going to pursue it. And it always comes down to this. In some ways, I think what we see here is a little bit of a microcosm for us. And the reason why I say this is important to us is who are we in this story? We are those who are in the crowd hearing that gospel message. And are we going to love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God? Are we going to love this or our position? Our, we don't want to be ridiculed. We don't want to be put in that class. Those weird people over there, we want to stay here where we're socially acceptable, if you will. So we don't want to get into this. And I think that's what it comes down to as we look through all of Acts, we begin to see, is it God that you follow or is it man? Is it God that defines you and becomes who you are? Or is it man that leads you and defines you? 
This is not new. It's the same thing today. It always comes down to this, man or God. In fact, Peter says it whenever they threaten him in chapter 5 that we'll see next week. Who am I going to follow, God or you? As for me, I'm not going to follow you. I'm going to follow God. Whatever he says, that becomes the ultimate question for us. But verse 14 comes with this. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. He says in verse 13, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Despite the tension, despite the bad publicity of Peter and John being thrown in prison, despite the threats, despite Ananias and Sapphira and the word of that going around, in spite of all that, the church continued to grow. In spite of those who had heard it, choosing the glory that comes from man, not not from God, the church still grows. The proclamation of the gospel continues to draw people to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have verse 13 and 14 in contrast. There's going to be many who are going to love the glory of man, not the glory of the Lord. And they're going to settle back and not follow him because of what man may say. But at the same time, don't think that the church can't grow. In fact, nothing can stop the church from going growing. A theme throughout Acts. Nothing can stop it. They'll throw everything at it. They'll do everything they can. They'll try to destroy it in every way. They'll threaten it. They'll kill the leaders. They'll do all they can. And nothing can stop the church from growing. In fact, even as Paul is in prison at the end of the book, It doesn't end with Paul's head getting chopped off in Rome because this is not a biography of the Apostle Paul. This is the story of the church advancing in light of whatever persecution, whatever struggle, whatever difficulty may come to it. So the book of Acts ends with the gospel went forth unhindered and unthwarted. It cannot be stopped. This theme runs throughout. The church grows in tough places. Darkness cannot overtake it. The world cannot stop it, for the world is passing away. But the church, the church will stand forever. Not even human fear can effectively stop the gospel from challenging sinners and changing hearts. Not even fear can do that. We sometimes get caught up in things Get caught up on things. What happened after Ananias and Sapphira? Surely nobody will join there. That's bad publicity. You Google that and you're in trouble. But the church is not built. And hear me when I say this. I mean this with all my heart. These things are not evil in and of themselves. But they are only secondary, if not tertiary. The church is not built on marketing strategies or pragmatic advertising campaigns. It's not built on any feel-good program that we can come up with. The church is built on the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. If you don't have that, then all other things are fleeting and foolish. It's sand. It disappears. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow, even if it lasts that long. But when the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and the power of God is understood is his power for his glory in the name of Jesus Christ, then nothing can stop God's church. Persecution, fear, negative news, nothing will stop it. The apostles knew this. And ultimately our question as we look to this going forward is do you know this? 
Do you know the world is passing away? So don't seek glory from that. Do you know that the light shines and darkness cannot overtake it? So don't look to the darkness. Run to the light. Do you know that Christ Jesus has the power to take whatever it is you're dealing with and change that and use that for his good? For he makes even his enemies his footstool. They will serve him for eternity. Whatever difficulty, whatever heartache, whatever pain that you may be dealing with now, the Lord says, all of that is working together for the good of my people. The church continues for the glory of God. Don't settle for the glory that comes to man. Settle for the glory of God only. That becomes the question. What's most important for you for 2023? Seeking after the glory of God and making an impact for his name with his gospel or the glory of man. Let me put it this way. What's more important to you, winning or losing? I don't want to cheapen this to think of it as some contest. But what I do want to say, the very theme of the book of Revelation is simple. Jesus wins. The gospel stands and nothing can knock it down. So do not love the world or the things of the world, for that's passing away. The gospel is here. And in Acts chapter 5, we get a little glimpse of how the gospel is fulfilling what God said it would do. We get a little glimpse about how the gospel is pointing to what he will ultimately do in the end. And ultimately, it's saying, are you for us? Are you with us? Are you against us? Because in Acts, it's about to get real. You've got to decide, is it the glory of God that you're after or the glory of man? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. God, I ask today that you guide us and lead us to love the glory of the Lord, to pursue after the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim that with boldness and confidence like these apostles, even in the face of difficulty, persecution, struggle, and trial, to proclaim it, Father, knowing that Jesus is Lord. And God, you are the one who will reign forever. God, help no one here love the glory that comes from man more than the glory of God. Help them to pursue after you even now. For it's in the name of Jesus we as you stand to sing, always know that in this service, Pastor Jeremy's back there in the back. If any of you want to start off this year in prayer, if any of you know that you've been loving the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God, he would love to speak with you today, even as we sing. Let's sing together.